Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckert. This is an independent, listener-supported show. To support it, go to weirdhistorypodcast.com. I think it's fair to say that since the publication of Bram Stoker's 1897 novel, that Dracula has become more of a character type than a character. There's not one Dracula. There's not a definitive Dracula. There are many, many Draculas. And sometimes Draculas don't even have to be called Dracula. What I mean by that is that obviously Bela Lugosi is a Dracula. Christopher Lee, definitely a Dracula. But I'd also say that Lestat is a Dracula. Strahd from Ravenloft, he's a Dracula. That one really hot Viking vampire guy from True Blood, also a Dracula. You get the idea. And this week I want to get into a question. I want to explore whether or not Dracula was a Dracula. As in, was the historical dude who was actually called Dracula at all similar to the character type that we have today? Now, that guy, that historical figure, was Vlad the Impaler. He was a voivode, that is, prince of Wallachia, in the mid-1400s. And Wallachia, that is in what is now modern-day Romania, and yes, it does include Transylvania. So he was a pretty nasty, gross, and just generally terrifying person. And I'm not going to go into the details of his life too much, because it's a bunch of super complicated Game of Thrones type stuff that would have us here all day. There's a lot of politics, a lot of war, and a lot of double crosses and shifting allegiances. And that's because Wallachia was on the border of the Ottoman Empire. And the relationship between Wallachia and the Ottoman Empire was a rocky one. Sometimes they were paying tribute to the Ottomans, and sometimes they were at war with them. Sometimes they were allied with the Ottomans against other regional rivals. Sometimes they got together with the smaller kingdoms and fought with the Ottomans. Sometimes everybody was fighting with everybody, and... It was a whole thing. Border regions can be tumultuous. And it was in that tumultuous, war-filled border environment that Vlad the Impaler had his reign. Or rather, reigns. We'll get there a bit later. So, first getting into his name. Dracula actually was named Dracula. Or Dragula. Or Draculia. Or Dragulia. Um, spelling was pretty inconsistent in the 1400s. And various versions of that name exist. But that name comes from his dad, Vlad Dracul. And Dracul there means either dragon or demon. A big, fearsome, scary thing. And Vlad Dracul was probably called that because of a knightly order that he was part of. The Order of the Dragon or the Order of the Demon. Because I guess martial organizations, much like modern-day sports teams, like having really cool, dangerous-sounding, fearsome mascots, like whatever a Dracul is. Dracula means son of the dragon, or son of the demon, which is totally badass, and apparently that was the version of his name that Vlad Tepes liked using. Had you called him Vlad, he probably would have been a little annoyed with you, but had you called him son of the dragon, yes, that was the name he liked. And, indeed, he signed his name Dracula 
on numerous occasions. So it's totally fair to call Vlad the Impaler Dracula, and I'm going to do so for the rest of the podcast. However, despite being called Dracula, he was not Count Dracula. He was a prince. He was a son of the main ruler. He was not minor nobility. So calling him the Count is giving him a bit of demotion. So Dracula, but not Count Dracula. Anyway, early in his life, Prince Dracula was essentially handed over by his dad, Vlad Dracul, to the Ottoman Sultan as insurance. Again, you had that rocky, war-filled relationship between the Ottoman Empire and their neighbors, and Mehmed II, the Sultan at the time, thought, hey, he could hold on to Vlad Dracul's kids, and then he could get this belligerent neighbor to not start any wars. He figured that no prince or local ruler, no matter how crazy or bloodthirsty, would actually start a war if their own kids were in the hands of the enemy. This is kind of a Theon Greyjoy from Game of Thrones type situation. But if Vlad Dracul actually played nice and paid tribute and didn't start wars, you know, his two kids in the hands of the Sultan, they'd be fine. Apparently, though, Vlad Dracul was not the kind of guy who would have been deserving of a world's greatest dad coffee mug because he was all too willing to start a war with the Turks, even if it meant that his own kids might get killed. He basically viewed his kids as casualties the moment he handed them over as hostages. So this standard way of, you know, keeping things stable and peaceful wasn't going to work with the guy who literally called himself Vlad Demon. Fortunately for regional stability, though, a bunch of the local nobles got together and went all Julius Caesar on Dracul and murdered him before he could start anything. Uh, eventually, Dracula, his son, led an Ottoman army back to Wallachia on behalf of the Sultan. And this idea was that, hey, the old guy is dead, uh, we have his son, he can be a legitimate ruler, and he's been living with us for a while, so we'll set him up as a local prince, he'll be loyal, and everything will be cool. Expanded Ottoman territory. That didn't happen. Dracula did indeed lead an Ottoman army into Wallachia, and then he immediately betrayed the Ottomans and ended up taking over the place for himself. That began his first reign as Prince of Wallachia. After that, he had a checkered career. Uh, he ended up reigning three times. He was in and out of power for the remainder of his 49-year lifetime. Uh, he got deposed. He reigned again. He got deposed. He reigned a third time. So when I talk about his career, keep in mind that it was really tumultuous. This guy wasn't just sitting on his throne, brooding and ordering people to get killed. He was constantly being defeated by and then defeating uh, his local rivals and the Ottomans and basically everybody that he came in contact with. Again, Game of Thrones type stuff. So in this environment of constant warfare and political competition, he was known for being pretty ruthless and awful to people around him. For example, during his first reign, he threw an Easter feast in 1457, and everybody was hanging out, having a good time, celebrating Easter, and then he asked the assembled nobles how many rulers they'd seen in their lifetime, and 
They said that they'd seen several people ruling Wallachia at the time. Dracula brought up his dad, who had been assassinated. And then, much to the surprise of the assembled dinner party, he ordered most of the nobles to be killed. So they were having themselves a nice Easter, and then suddenly they were all impaled and put on stakes. Vengeance for dad, I guess. The thing that Dracula got out of this was not just like, you know, killing people, which I guess is its own reward, but when all of those major nobles were killed, he got to promote their underlings. So he had a whole bunch of people that owed their position to him, and the thinking was they would be more likely to be loyal to him. And he knew that he couldn't count on the loyalty of the nobles that he had gotten rid of because, after all, they'd killed his dad. Also, during his violent and tumultuous career, he did all kinds of nasty things to his enemies and their followers, like rolling into a region he was fighting against, basically rounding everybody up, not taking prisoners, and then putting people on stakes, just because they were there. Not just combatants, but civilians, old people, kids, all kinds of folks got impaled. So Vlad the Impaler, not a myth. He really impaled people. Uh, we're not sure how many, but literally thousands. So the details of his eventual death are cloudy, but according to legend, his severed head was sent back to the Ottoman Empire, and it was displayed on a pike. Because, hey, irony. But we can't quite confirm that. The really colorful and improbable stories we have about Vlad the Impaler spread after his death, and they spread through neighboring regions, uh, most commonly Germany. For example, there were stories that not only did he enjoy impaling people, but then he would set up a dinner table underneath an impaled person, blood would drip down the pike, he would catch it in a bowl, then he would dip bread into the blood as it slid down the pike like the world's most gruesome fondue. There's also an anecdote that to secure the loyalty of his citizens, Vlad Dracula put a golden cup in a town square and anyone was allowed to drink from that golden cup. But because everyone knew how incredibly bloody and ruthless he was, no one dared touch it. Had anything happened to that golden cup, they thought, he'd probably roll on in and impale the whole village. There's another anecdote, off-repeated, that he had a meeting with some Ottoman diplomats, and he was very annoyed that these diplomats did not doff their hats in the presence of a prince. He pointed this out, and they said that they only took their hats off for God. So, he had their hats nailed to their skulls. But, gruesome stories like this, again, they're all embellishments and folklore that post-date Vlad's actual life. And most of them are from Germany, not Wallachia itself. So, he was a guy who really enjoyed executions, but there have been all sorts of rulers who really enjoyed executions. Uh, the stories about the blood drinking, yeah, not so much. And considering this, I have to conclude that, despite literally being named Dracula, Vlad the Impaler was not a Dracula. He was not of the character type that we recognize as being, you know, generally Draculonic. And there are a few reasons why. We've talked a whole bunch about blood and death so far, but there's another very important Dracula element that we haven't touched on at all, that we haven't gotten to, that Vlad the Impaler is sorely lacking, and that's all the sexy parts. 
The historical Dracula, he had the bloodthirsty killing people thing down, but he's nothing like the magnetic vampire in Stoker's novel or subsequent films. When I first read Dracula, I was pretty young. I was only about 12 or 13, and I remembered being disappointed in it because it was nothing like, say, Castlevania or those totally rad Christopher Lee movies. I reread it as an adult, and I had a bit more appreciation for it. I do think movie Dracula is better, but I could see why people like the book, because it's filled with sex. Or rather, it's filled with a bunch of suggestive stuff. There's all kinds of Victorian innuendo about, say, bosoms and fluid transfer and all that. And really, the essence of Dracula isn't about blood and gore. The essence of Dracula is... Bela Lugosi's just magnetic, amazing eyes. Like, really, watch the Bela Lugosi Dracula again. And when he stares at the camera, ooh, that is some good vampire right there. So there's that. Vlad Dracula, not sexy. But the other reason why I don't think Dracula was a Dracula is that the character, the icon, seems to have come much more from Bram Stoker than from history himself. So Stoker did indeed work from folklore and stories about the supernatural when he wrote Dracula, but we don't know for sure how much he knew about Vlad Dracula himself. In fact, we can verify very little of what Stoker actually knew. I want to quote for you an article called Back to the Basics, Reexamining Stoker's Sources for Dracula by Elizabeth Miller, a professor who specializes in Dracula. So, Basically, she's a professional Draculologist. Miller writes, quote, Here's what we know for certain. We know from Stoker's notes that by March 1890, he had decided to write a vampire novel. In fact, early in the planning stages, he selected a name for his vampire, Count Vampire. We are also certain that Stoker found the name Dracula, most likely for the first time, in a book he borrowed from the Whitby Public Library in the summer of 1890 an account of the principalities of Wallachia and Moldovia by William Wilkinson. Stoker not only recorded the call number of the book, but copied almost verbatim key passages. In the two relevant paragraphs, the name Dracula appears just three times. Actually, two of them accurately refer to the father, Vlad Dracul. What attracted Stoker was a footnote attached to the third occurrence. Dracula, in the Wallachian language, means devil. The Wallachians were, at that time, used to give this as a surname to any person who rendered himself conspicuous either by courage, cruel actions, or cunning. That Stoker considered this important is evident in that he copied in his own notes, Dracula, in Wallachian language, means devil. The three references to Dracula in Wilkinson's text, along with the footnote, are the only occurrences of the name in all of the sources that we know Stoker consulted. Unquote. Miller goes on to note, that based on Stoker's notes, which were found in 1980, it doesn't seem that he actually got into Wallachian history very deeply, and it doesn't seem that he was actually working from stories about Vlad Dracula. He was working from other folklore and also his imagination. Also, in the text of Dracula itself, Van Helsing does go in to what the Count was like in his life. And, in Stoker's text, Van Helsing describes the Count as a living person this way. He says, quote, He was in life a most wonderful man, soldier, statesman, an alchemist, which later was the highest development in the science knowledge of the time. He had a mighty brain, a learning beyond compare, 
and a heart that knew no fear and no remorse. He dared even to ascend to Scholomancy, and there was no branch of knowledge of his time that he did not essay. Unquote. By the way, um, Van Helsing in the book is supposed to be a kind of like a hilarious foreign Dutch professor. So if that last sentence sounded awkward to you, that's why. Because one of the most badass vampire hunters in fiction, you know, started his life in Stoker's novel as the funny talking foreign guy. Anyway, there he's talking about Dracula as being fallen as somebody who actually had a pretty good life and later on turned into a vampire. He is not, in the text, somebody who was kind of a terrible human and then turned into a vampire. And Vlad Dracula of history and Stoker's Dracula represent very different tropes. Vlad Dracula is kind of just a Ramsey Bolton sort of character. He's just a sadist. He likes power, executions, and flamboyantly turning people into corpses. Stoker's vampire, and subsequent vampires in movies, they're much more subtle. When asked about where Dracula came from, Stoker often said that it was mainly inspired by a nightmare he had. And I think we should probably take the guy at his word, that he had a nightmare that was very affecting and turned it into a book. And a lot of people work really, really hard trying to find a source for the vampire in history, but I want to propose something else. Dracula was mainly made up by a writer, and I think we should give him a certain amount of credit for making up something that resonated with a lot of people. I know, giving a writer credit for imagining things sounds crazy. But in the past few decades, there's occasionally media that attempts to conflate the historical Dracula with Stoker's Dracula, and it only kind of works. So Francis Ford Coppola's 1992 Dracula film, it is an amazing train wreck. It's terrible. It's awesome. I love it. It's sort of a camp classic. One of the best Dracula movies ever made. Anyway, it works really, really hard to retcon Vlad the Impaler into Bram Stoker's Dracula. And they do a pretty good job of it. Again, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. It's crazy. Watch it. Um, then there's Dracula Untold, which is a 2014 movie that attempted to tell Dracula's origin story, and it specifically had him as Vlad Dracula fighting the Ottomans. I haven't seen this movie. It's apparently terrible, but I kind of want to watch it because I will watch almost anything with vampires in it. I mean, I've seen Blade Trinity, which I'm not proud of. And I kind of admire media that tries to align all the details and get everything to work and hammer everything into this nice, neat, uncontradictory continuity, but it's okay for there to be contradictions. It's okay that not everything lines up. There are different versions of Dracula out there. Again, at this point, he's more of a type than a single character. And that kind of narrative mutation is what causes new stories to emerge, and it is what makes characters like Bram Stoker's sexy evil vampire so danged interesting. So I think we should celebrate the mutations because that's where evolution comes from. I think we should celebrate how things don't sometimes work, go off the rails, and get weird because that's a source of new stories. And next week, we're going to get into one of the first and strangest variations on Stoker's creation. It's a translation that's not a translation a book that turns Dracula into a full-on James Bond supervillain. Next week, it's time for Icelandic Dracula.
Thank you all for listening. As always, this is a listener-supported podcast. Go to weirdhistorypodcast.com to become a supporter. Thank you all very much who donate every single month to make this thing happen. I appreciate that immensely. I'm on social media, facebook.com slash weirdhistorypodcast, and on Twitter. I am at Joe Streckert. Talk to you next week with more Dracula. Bye. Bye. 